Now, there you go. <laughs> hey, Garrett, have you been listening to all this? Yeah, well, I, I just, about the okay, last Dave, five minutes. Dave, Dave, put a cork in it, get online, and let's say, hey, we're having an open mic tonight. Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba the news. Obsessed episode 429 is recorded live December 5th, 2019. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very fine. I'm thawing out very well, and uh, we'll talk about that way later in the in the session. But glad to be here tonight, and glad we're having a good podcast. Yeah, and uh, joining us us again this week, we have Dave Toneman. How are you doing today, Dave? All I gotta say is go Bucks. It didn't go well. <laughs> well, uh, if you if you weren't in the chat room before we got started, you missed out on quite a lot, and that kind of prompted us to to change directions a little bit tonight because I think tonight's just going to be a a normal BS session, which is kind of the original premise of the podcast years and years ago. So, uh, but uh, Dave, you did mention that you wanted to cover this first article that I did have in the list. We we uh, we can bring these in as as we get bored, which I'm sure won't happen. But this first one. Uh, a tragedy down uh, south. Experts caution boaters and divers on red flags following Thanksgiving diving accident. 25-year-old Carter Viss is still in critical condition following a tragic accident off Palm Beach. According to FWC, Viss was diving near Breakers Hotel on Thanksgiving when he's run over by a boat. This report says the diver w- saw Viss's flag in the water, or driver, saw Viz's flag in the water, but still managed to hit him while de-accelerating. According to his mother's online journal, Viz lost his right arm, sustained a break to his left wrist, and severe injuries to both legs. CBS 12 spoke to the local diving instructor who says that while tragedies like this don't happen often, unfortunately, divers are experiencing close calls with boats. I cannot tell you how many times we've come up, even with a flag, and there's a boat coming on us. Peter Friedman told the uh, CBS 12. Friedman owns Stewart Dive Shop and frequently conducts charters out of Stewart, Juniper, and West Palm Beach, so he's very familiar with the area where this was diving. It's a very popular spot to dive. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of people diving the reef every week. Still, he says boaters must keep their eyes out for the red and white flag, signaling that divers are nearby. He says he recommends dropping a buoy line near the diver to be extra safe. Oh, a buoy in the water. Uh, he recommends divers take inflatable safety sausage out with them at all times. According to his mother's online journal, this is going to have surgery Monday at 5 p.m. to repair his left wrist. That sucks. It does. And there, there are numerous issues that come into play here. And one of the worst is the, the headline, experts... Expert cautions boaters and divers 
on red flags. And I believe somewhere they were, there was a conversation about don't surface next to your dive flag. You know, we often talk in the dive industry about problems in training. Is this not a problem in basic boater education and boater awareness? I know I've had issues. I think, Mac, I think I've heard you tell stories about dive flags. I, I can tell you one where I came up and I was hell-bent on tipping this guy's boat over because he was pulling me up like I was a big fish. And when I got up, the only thing that kept me from tipping his canoe over was I saw a little kid sitting in a canoe. It's an education problem, not so much in the diving industry, but in the general boating industry. The other problem is, you know, every state has a different dive flag law, and a lot of divers don't know what is the law in their state. How big should the flag be? How close do you need to stay to the flag? How far away should boaters be from that flag? And then dive shops often stock and sell flags that don't meet the state's requirements. Yeah, we, we've seen that. People don't realize how large the most states' requirements are. So that little tiny compact dive flag that you're, you pick up, you need to double check to see if that's valid. And at the same time, the state's requirements are ludicrous. Even the Coast Guard requirements are ludicrous. I mean, to be legal by Coast Guard standards, I have to fly an alpha flag and a dive flag that are three, is it, I think they call it three foot or three meters by three meters, if I recall correctly. <laughs> Each flag. And then they do give you the, the annotation that the, the flag can be scaled down to meet the size of the vessel. Kind of vague. But at the same time, I can't think of too many times when I've seen a boater see a dive flag and steer clear of it. And I know the Mud Club has done some advocacy with, with postings on the dive flag awareness stuff. Um, I'm not sure that this is an issue that maybe the dive industry shouldn't take more seriously in promoting it for the general boating population, that this is what this is. But at the same time, why don't the why does not the boating industry address this? It's a common problem. We hear this story, and for some reason, you don't hear this story out of Michigan. I don't recall the last time I heard a story of a diver getting hit in Michigan, but it seems to happen a lot in Florida. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's, well, in general, and I'm not a big one on regulations, but are we to the point where we need to have some sort of requirement before you can even drive a boat? Most states do. I will tell you that Ohio has a, uh, a law that requires a basic boater safety course. I've done that course, even though I'm quote unquote grandfathered because I'm too old. <laughs> they had a date where if you're, I think it was 1982. If you were born prior to 82, you're grandfathered. But in that course, it's a two-sentence paragraph, yeah, and then not a test question. Yeah. So uh, in the chat room, I pasted the link to the website dive-flag.com, and that's a nice website because they've got it broken down, at least here for in the U.S., 
the uh, laws by state. So in Michigan, it's saying that a buoy or boat shall bear a red flag not less than 14 inches by 16 inches with a three and a half inch white stripe running diagonal. Uh, and that is honestly too small. That's your, a boater uh, is going to have a, might have a hard time seeing that. I mean, that's just a little bit bigger than a sheet of paper. Uh, it's also incumbent upon the diver to make sure that you're not diving in a high traffic area. Yeah. Well, like in the rivers, that's where we uh, tend to avoid uh, some of the rivers during the prime fishing season, just because there's so many people out there in them. And here's the other part of it is they're supposed to stay. Uh, vessel shall not operate within 200 feet of a buoy diver flag unless it is involved in tendering the diving operation. A person diving shall stay within the surface area of 100 feet of the diver's flag. So the, they, so the idea is to have a buffer between you and boat traffic. I will tell you that when I was living up in Michigan, I was in the southeast corner in the Sunrise Coast versus your Sunset Coast. Um, there was a lake that was literally a chain link fence away from my buddy's house I was living with. And when we would go out on that lake, one of the neighbors would take us out on his pontoon and we would dive. And it was entertaining. As soon as we put the flag up, and it was a well-patrolled lake because they had a lot of boating activity. As soon as we would raise that flag and jump in the water, the neighbor would tell us that the DNR boats would just like swarm around him and hang out. And it was always a challenge to see how many citations the DNR guys could give the boaters while we were diving. Oh, really? But that's a rare story. That was a, you know, relatively decent inland lake in southeast Michigan over in Oakland County. Um, but typically, most boaters don't even know what that flag means. And most divers don't understand what the laws are, and it's typically not taught in most diving classes. It's not in any curriculum. You know, the flag is briefly mentioned in all the open water classes in their curriculum, but it's not really discussed. And that's one thing I always made sure that I discussed in classes where, especially up there in classes I was doing with wolves, because a lot of those people would be doing local diving and understanding, you know, you need to tow this flag. We are out on a lake where there are boats and in the open water class, we're towing a flag. Did it always meet the law and the requirements? I mean, how big does your float have to be to have a 14 by 16 inch flag? Let me add a few items here, if I may. Yeah. When we're talking Coast Guard requirements, their requirement is only for boaters, boats, I should say. And their minimum, as you said earlier, is one meter. One meter, three foot says, by three foot. It said code alpha flag, not less than one meter in height. Meaning off the boat, it's got to be at least three feet up off the boat. The reference to how how big the flag is, it doesn't say. But my, my comment would be the following, is when you're diving offshore, and especially if you're shore diving, and you're going past 30 or 40 feet, how many people actually use a flag? 
not very many, because that's a hell of a drag. Even us, I mean, I go out on Max Rec or something like that. I often take a flag, even though it's 70-foot line, because if I get lost, I want somebody to know where I'm at, or if I have other issues. You know, I want them to find the body anyway. Yeah. But everybody, I mean, among us three, I never surface more than 10 feet from my flag. Never. Do you guys? No. I always put the flag on the boat, and I'm surfacing on the mooring line, unless things go sideways. So and you're close to your you're close to your flag is what I'm saying. Pretty yeah. much. I'm so surfacing any, on the flag. Anybody who observes a, a hundred foot rule, which is not clo- not far enough, but if they did a hundred foot rule, the majority of people are never going to be hit by a boat. Yeah. But like you said, if you got a kayak, canoe, small rowboat with a motor, on a lot of these lakes, they have no freaking clue. And I can give you several. I mean, it's happened to me. It's happened to Richard. Uh, Darren, you too. Yeah. People use that for a freaking turning pylon if you're in a ski-doo or a fast boat. I've had people not know what it is, try to tow it up into the into the water. Uh, Kurt had that happen to him last summer. Fishermen are dragging him up because they have not a clue what that flag is. And if you've noticed my float, I've got a over a six-foot pole, so it makes it more visible. I have an alpha flag on it. And I have the regular flag on mine. And I light mine up at night. Well, not on my boat. We also flag red, white, red, white, red. I've got a stack of lights. Yep. And everybody comes up the anchor line. But most people, you know, if if people went and gave the boat leeway, you're never going to hit a diver. No. Now, out in Florida, if you're wreck diving off a boat, I think most people come up. On the anchor line, because if you got any deco, you don't want to do that free. And if you're a novice, you're going to be too damn scared to make a free ascent from 100 feet. You're going to go down the railing and find where you came back on, because I know I did. I was not a not comfortable doing a free ascent. So, like you say, the majority of instances is not because of the diver; it's because people don't know the rules. Now, what we do in at the club here, we have laminated diver below. Here's the rules for Michigan. Those are available for anybody to take and post at the, you know, almost every launch site has a bulletin board for the fish and things like this. We ask people to paste them on that. So it gives some boaters an awareness, no matter which lake you do around us. Hey, what is this posting? And oh, that's a die flag. So we try to educate them. And in fact, at Wolf's, I had. The, um, a deputy sheriff from either Michigan City or it was out of state, he came by, saw those, and said, can I get some of those? So we sent him a dozen. And I thought, you know, that's a heck of a nice part because he was part of the Marine Division. Yeah. yeah. And he found out we're posting them when we dive, find a big sign that talks about the lake and all this, slap that sucker up there. And if they're laminated, they last a heck of a lot longer. Yep. And this is and a battle that I'm fighting in Ohio now because mm-hmm. in Michigan, you have the free access laws. If you have a public roadway or public access to a body of water, you can dive it. In right, Ohio, I, can down, I can go down a fire lane and dive. In Ohio, when we get to our state parks, which is where most of our better diveable lakes really are, pretty much 
we're limited by law to diving in 16 of those lakes. And those 16 are all 9.9 horsepower or electric motor only. And they're almost all less than 10 feet and mud holes because Ohio is so afraid of boats and divers. <clears throat> and the Ohio Council of Snorkel and Skin Divers is revamping and we're working to rebuild the council, um, which is the council was big on getting the O2 for divers without prescription and several other legislative acts. And we're, we're going to start working towards changing the state of Ohio's mindset because most of the, the lakes that are diveable, um, I won't say how I know they're diveable because you're not allowed to dive in them, but they're the lakes that they allow power boats on. And there's a fear in the legislation in Ohio of having big boats and divers where you don't get that in Michigan. But I've, ne I've never had a problem on the Great Lakes. I mean, on the Great Lakes, to me, every boat that ever sees a boat, they steer clear of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, we, we could really go deep into this topic, but one of my pet theories is it's just uh, lack of respect for the boat. And then it also is part of the... I'm, I'm on vacation, I'm going to the resort, and, hey, I can rent this. Wouldn't that be fun? So people who don't have a deep knowledge of boats or water are getting vessels and driving them around. I mean, it's just like, you know, you, you give them your credit card, you set up for the time, and then you go drive the boat out or the ski-doo or whatever. But a lot of states are implementing policies where if you don't have a boater safety card, if you're born from this year forward, which I, I hate to say it because it kind of is starting to age us all, but if you were born before 1982, you're probably not running a jet ski. I would concur with that. <laughs> but the problem is in the boater education courses, it gets a sentence, a sentence and a half. And nobody's ever, most of the people that ever take a butter safety course don't remember anything from it. They got a card. It's good for life. They can run a jet ski. And I'm, I'm certainly not one for more legislative action. I think the government needs to get the hell out of everything. But there maybe needs to be some more stringent requirements on boaters as far as education and, and understanding the laws and just awareness. And it goes a long way. You know, Mac was saying the mud club has these laminations and getting them out there and just, just a friendly reminder. I mean, how often do you, you know, a friendly reminder about littering is enough to make the common person say, oh, shit, I was about to throw that sandwich wrapper out. I'm a dumbass. I shouldn't do that. Just most people want to do the right thing. They just need to know what the right thing is. And maybe it's an education at the ramp. Yeah, you were talking about, uh, by the way, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, we should take some of those ourselves now and take them to the local marinas that we have. And if you did nothing more than put them by the 
restroom and by the where the cleaning fish stations is, we would get a lot more people realizing, hey, what that flag is. So I think that's what we're going to do this, this summer is for sure make sure we have those in our locale at the DNR launches and at any other place that's got fish cleaning and or restrooms for boaters. That that's probably going to be a darn good idea. We're going to do that this year. And, and for Darren, don't, listeners don't forget out to there, let me say that. And for all the listeners yeah. out there around and yeah, Karen, I know we're demonetized. Oh wait, this isn't YouTube. <laughs> Wrong channel. Um, for everyone listening out there, if you would like to do this in your area, I'm going to go ahead and volunteer Mac to, you know, contact at the show at scubasess.com and we'll get you a, a copy of the file and you can print it out, laminate it and post it at your ramps and feel free to modify it for your local laws, whatever state you're in. But instead of bitching about boaters hitting divers, why don't we become proactive and let's do something. Let's do something to help educate people and posting it, the boat ramps. And like Mac said, the fish cleaning stations, you're standing there flaying a fish. You're there staring at it. 15, 20 minutes. Instead of just complaining, let's become a part of the solution. And I think that idea will just make a concentrated effort. And like you said, anybody send us a note, we'll send you the PDF file for that. As a side note, I was looking up uh, the rules for for Ohio dive flags, and it said uh, uh, section has uh, excerpts on the relevant sections of diving. They cite the following. Passages indicate that an alpha flag should, not shall, be used on most boat diving operations in public waters. It would appear that the Code A alpha flag is required regardless of the size of the watercraft, which I find interesting. And I'd have to further take a look at that. And then it talked about uh, a rigid replica of the international flag. A flag is not less than one meter in height. To ensure visibility, doesn't say the size of the of the flag itself. And then it talked about a vessel less than twelve meters, unless engaged in the diving, is not required to exhibit the light or shapes prescribed by this rule. Which a lot means of kayaks and little John boats, they wouldn't have to do that even without a motor on them. But every diver who is diving locally should. No, and every boater should know if somebody is dis- displaying a dive flag that there's a human in the water. Yeah, and don't be it. Don't be an, an ass. Steer clear. And I've seen a lot of people. You know, a big one which we're going to be talking about the St. Clair River uh, when we're diving it off a boat and we've got the dive flag up. I can't tell you how many boats I've seen coming down the river, and they're just coming right at us. And we're standing there yelling, screaming. Of course, they can't hear us. And we're pointing. And then they see the flag, and they're like, oh, shit. And they realize it, and you see them deviate at the last moment. So it's yeah, not which, that which everybody do doesn't know it. Right. But I, I do think it's just a general awareness thing and also a mutual respect. Don't block a waterway. Don't think that that flag gives you boss power. And that brings up an item. We used to dive the uh, one of the rivers in Sheboygan, 
and it was very narrow. And if you flew the flag, it would inhabit in, inhibit navigation. And when somebody tugged on your your flag and you were pissed and you came up, and it was the DNR because you were obstructing traffic. Their recommendation to us was you can do so, put it on shore, and make sure you're staying on the bottom and shoreline so people can traverse. Now, whether that, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I'll tell you that um, there are some areas that deviate with local law that, quote unquote, trumps state law. Um, if you're diving, as we were talking earlier, St. Clair River at the Blue Water Bridge, the local authorities and the Coast Guard do not want you towing a dive flag. Absolutely, you're correct. The density of recreational traffic and commercial traffic, they want you to put a flag up on the seawall. And that is where you go in, and that is where you come out. And and that's why that, that diving is so difficult, because it is a soft overhead, because you cannot surface except at the seawall. Not just because of flag, but because of common sense. Right. And generally, when we've been out there, though, they put the little hydrofoil-type buoy with the flag on it that's maybe 50 feet off the uh, seawall at your entry point and at your exit point. And not Um, a single person on a boat knows what the hell it is. But the times I've been there, I've never had a small vessel go in that area, meaning parallel to the seawall, unless they're further than 50 feet away. No, they're always too busy blocking the freighter traffic. Uh, yeah, I don't know how you're going to block those guys because they can't stop. No, they don't. And it's pretty cool to watch. But that's that's later. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, this, this whole article talks about dive flags and a diver being injured. And, and Godspeed, I hope they recover. I know that they've had some pretty massive injuries. And I'm not going to try to declare fault on them or the boater i i'm not a court but it's probably a shared responsibility they were probably diving somewhere with high traffic and at that point it it behooves the safe diver to have somebody on the surface on the boat or on a boat if you're going to dive in a high traffic area don't shore dive it that's dumb have somebody on a boat so at least they can start yelling and screaming and maybe shoot flares at the guy coming at you, whatever. But at least you have some kind of defense other than just some measly little flag. And most of us towing flags, when we're towing flags, we're diving in the rivers, you know, inland lakes. Is it enough? A lot of times when I'm diving inland lakes and mostly hate to say it, it's in Michigan. I, I mean, Following a Michigan OSU weekend, it's kind of hard to prompt Michigan up, but got to. Michigan has better inland diving. And when you're on the lakes, maybe you need to look at, depending on the boat traffic, time of the year, the season, are you better to have somebody with a boat to follow you? Still tow the flag, but let the boat run interference. Don't just think the flag is your shield. Yeah. Side note, I was just doing some search as I'm listening to you. I got a correction from the Coast Guard here. It says 
The one meter size is the size of the flag. It is not how high it is to be placed. Yeah, I, I was mistaken earlier. I said three meters by three meters, and it's one meter, one meter. It's three yep. feet by three feet. Yep, and that's pretty freaking big. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what yeah. I have on my boat. I have I have a, a dive flag that's three by – actually, it's three by five, and an alpha flag that's three by five. But that's on my boat. When I'm shore diving, I'm not towing a float that can handle a three-foot by three-foot flag. Yeah. Yeah. The, there is something that the, the Coast Guard spells out in its federal regulation. It says whenever the size of a vessel engaged in diving operation makes it impractical to ex- exhibit all lights and shapes prescribed. Uh, so, you know, the, they kind of give a little bit of an out. Now, if you've got a, a 40-foot boat, they're going to laugh at you. But, uh, you know, when you start getting the smaller ranges, and they don't say how small. But if you follow all the call rigs, you also need to fly ball, diamond, ball at the same time you're flying the dive flag and the alpha flag. And if you look at the size of the ball, diamond, ball, it allows you to step it down for your smaller vessel. But nobody does that unless you're a commercial diving entity. Nobody is ever flying a ball, diamond, ball on the vessel while you have divers in the water. Vessel not under command. Yeah, I've not. I've never seen one of those myself. No, and at night, how many times? I, I love diving Great Lakes at night. I mean, my boat is named the Erie Night Diver, and I only recently got a red, white, red light, which is the alternative to Ball Diamond Ball at night. We don't always adhere to the same regs, but I've never had a problem when I'm diving off a boat. Every problem I've ever had diving has been shore diving when I'm towing a float. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, I agree. I've not had a problem diving off a boat and I like diving off a boat because the boat is almost like a shield. Uh, you, know, it, you can hear uh, when we're in the water, we can hear boats from quite a distance. So anytime I can hear any sort of motor, I'm always extra cautious. And if you're coming up the, the mooring line to the boat, other than a boating collision, uh, I like to think that I'm about as safe as you can be. And boaters are going to avoid other boats. It's just there, there's a, a lack of awareness about the flag. And it more applies to our inland lakes, um, the rivers, you know, St. Joe River and Niles. Um, or what was the other place we dove on the St. Joe? It wasn't Niles. Um, was it Fisherman's Park? You Benton Harbor there? Well, there, um, there was a third place. We, yeah, third place. God, I got to think back how many places I dove on the St. Joe. There was a place we dove. It wasn't in Niles. It wasn't up in Benton Harbor. And there were fishermen coming by in their boats. I want to say it was like Fisherman's Park or something like that. Mac, do you know? <laughs> I'm trying to. This was, I'm going back probably six, eight years when we dove that. Well, anyway, we were out there and there were some fishermen coming up and I was on shore. I'd finished my dive and there were still a couple people in the water and the fishermen were coming up and they were probably within 10 feet of the flag and the guys were towing the flag 
I don't even remember who the divers were. Oh. And they saw it and they were like, oh, shit. And they swerved. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, Karen saying that's uh, by the dam in Burying Springs, which, yeah, now that's my hometown here. Uh, I should know that. Uh, yeah, you were you were down uh, probably just below the dam. Uh, it's Fisherman's Park. Yeah, I was thinking the name of it was Fisherman's Park for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's kind of like Clear Lake. I mean, there's only a million of them. <clears throat> right. But I guess I, I found another little... Uh, suggestion of how to make that happen. It said a 25-millimeter red flare across the bow. Make sure the approaching vessel, tug, ship pays attention. Calling on the radio and telling them the second flare might go into the wheelhouse also helps. <laughs> <laughs> and that is not obviously for an inland lake. Or skip the flares and just go to ball ammo. But- well, if you have a spear and it's got the die flag on it, does that? can you use that? You're just Only if you it. hit them in the forehead. Yeah, because you just wanted to make sure that they could see it. You thought maybe they had a vision problem. One thing about a GoPro that was really nice, um, back when you could dive near the power plants, like Cook, uh, we were up there diving with our flag and with a boat with a flag. Uh, we had fishermen come between us, the boat, and the, both of them had flags. We came up, we took pictures with our GoPros. And the Coast Guard, we turned them in. And they got fined for it. There is a video on YouTube. There is a video on YouTube at Jupiter. uh, The uh, Blue Heron Bridge. I'm sorry, Blue Heron Bridge. Mm -hmm. Just uh, just outside of Jupiter, where there was a sailboat that didn't hit the navigable channel, but came through what is, quote-unquote, the diving area. And the divers were not flying flags, because it's like six feet deep way outside the channel and there was a big uproar it was a you know your typical scuba board fiasco everybody blew up and the boater was so wrong and they were both wrong nobody got hit there were no injuries but the sailboat came close to divers and the sailboat was way out of the navigable channel the divers were in the area that is quote unquote the divers area but nobody was nobody was flying a flag or pulling a float and it blew up into who is at fault. And in the end, they were both wrong. Yeah. So we as divers, we, we've got to remember we have to do our part. If you're diving in navigable waters, pull a dang flag. It sucks. Nobody wants to manage the extra line, especially when you're grubbing, you're, you're recovering spidge or treasure. And boaters, be aware. Know what that flag means, regardless of size. When you see it, recognize it. Well, I think we've made our point today, and we've got some good objectives for the Mud Club for this coming year. Yeah. To uh, see how far we can spread the word and spread our posters out there for divers. And once again, I want to emphasize for everybody that's out there listening, if you're in an area and your club, or if you don't have a club, you're just a diver or your shop. If you would like to get a copy of this dive flag awareness, send a note to, I believe Darren, it's the show. Is it the show or show? 
the show at scubaobsessed.com gets to us. And if you send that message to Darren, Darren will make sure that once he edits it, that you get a copy of the the flyer that you can print out and laminate and post at your boat ramps. And feel free to modify it with your local laws. But it behooves us as divers to help educate everybody else. We're starting to see all the little depositories for the fishing line showing up at the boat ramps. And we're educating fishermen on don't just throw your line in the water. Let's go the extra step. And in your area, if nobody is promoting dive flag awareness, it's on you. You can't complain about it if you're not doing something about it. And at that note, I think the horse has been beat. (laughs) (laughs) Beat, Along that line, I was going to say, if you don't vote, don't bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And how. Well, I think that uh, we've done a good service tonight because we've got a good objective for the club, a rejuvenation of a good idea. And yeah. uh, I'd be very curious again if somebody who listens to the podcast tonight, one, agrees with us and or disagrees with us. I'd like to hear your views. Oh, most certainly. Send comments. Um, Facebook page, Darren. Uh, is at facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. And comment. You know, if you have stories about dive flag incidents, let us hear it. And who knows, maybe you'll be the next guest speaker. And, you know, if if your club is doing something to raise awareness for dive flag awareness, you know, send Darren a note, Facebook, the show. Um, What other ways can I reach you, Darren? On Twitter, at ScoobObsessed. On the website, www.scoobobsessed.com. Uh, and then probably some other ways we haven't thought of yet. We're not allowed to talk about those. Yeah. The Hotmail, H-O-T-M-A-L-E, or, 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 that or email actually, address sitting out. Actually, probably one of the best ways, which I would encourage, especially since I got a big bill coming up here in a couple of weeks, is uh, you could go to Patreon, which you get there from our website, click on that, and then give us a little bit of a donation, and then uh, they can direct message us that way as well. And we can, uh, well, yeah, that's an excellent idea. Excellent. So, what, and you get the show notes early. Yeah, <laughs> you do. <laughs> Especially with uh, when, when I'm running a few weeks behind, which is like about four right now on editing. Uh, you edit? So, oh, uh, the detailed. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine if I didn't edit. <laughs> oh, well. I will say I am a Patreon supporter, and uh, I got to I got to just throw that out there. You know, everybody likes to listen to podcasts, and as divers, we're limited on the information we have out there. There are some great podcasts out there now. This being one of them, you're getting entertainment, you're getting education. Just throw in a couple cups of coffee. It, it's not like this This stuff is making Darren independently wealthy. <laughs> That's for sure. Hook a brother up. There are expenses associated with this. None of the services he uses are free. And he's pulling it all out of his back pocket, and his wife is getting angry. Her horses need feed. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
they oh there there there's a an episode right there of uh, hey i just threw it out there for you darren you don't need to i'm gonna do it for you i've already demonetized it karen told me (laughs) (laughs) now now dave i i know that uh you are a horse family as well what what's a bale of hay going for right now um well since my daughter's boyfriend is a hay farmer um nothing but (laughs) uh he's selling right now for about six six a bale yeah yeah, see, I'm, I'm paying five and a half, and that's considered to be a pretty good deal. It's a uh, a farmer that we've known for years, and yep. uh, he, he keeps us in hay. But, you know, you have to kind of go with the market prices right now. It's five and a half. Yeah, well, the day he charges me for a bale, we're going to talk. Yeah. I'll start charging him for, well, <laughs> never mind. Other, other <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Be careful there. What, what, what's your occupation then? <laughs> hey, she's ever twenty-one. Demonetized. Is she that old already? Damn. Is these kids yeah, are just growing up left and right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, my my daughter turns uh, twenty-one in uh, a couple weeks here. Yeah, so that's. Uh, and I think your daughter and my daughter are pretty close in age. I, yeah. I think they were. Someday yeah. we'll have to hook them up together and let them go riding. Oh, and then yeah, you're my, diving. See, that's the thing is my my daughter. I almost had her ready to go diving, and there was like a at the teenager. There's like a week where everything aligns, and you're you're cool enough, but not too cool or uncool. I don't know what it is, and they'll actually do something with you. And I missed it, so she never she never did scuba diving. I I did get her to try the gear in a pool, and. I think she thought that wasn't too bad. And considering that she was a competitive swimmer, I was a little disappointed. But uh, horses, they definitely would get along. Uh, and you know what? As they grow older, we can get some more time with them. Yeah. My biggest challenge is my youngest daughter just skipped from her junior year to her senior year in high school, mid-year. And she's blown off senior year of high school to go to college. Uh, there you go. Just means the bills start sooner. Yeah, we're going to find a way to finance it. Or <laughs> I should say she will. Yeah. Well, anyway, I digress. We're we're drifting. Uh, Speaking so what, of what drifting. Is, yeah, there you go. Go with that. What were we talking about earlier in the podcast, Mac, before uh, well, we uh, went we live? Started out, I think we started out where some guy was talking about, hey, I'm going out the 15th, which, by the way, to anybody listening, I can't go. And uh, then he was talking about this place, this little island that you go to, and wherever you go, it's like gold, meaning old bottles just heaped upon the bottom, waiting for somebody to take them, highly embossed, highly treasured. And then he diverts into this section about, and then there's this P-38 airplane on the bottom. It's like, excuse me? Nobody tells me about this. You forgot the clay piece. Take it from there. Well, for those who are listening, there is a fabled land that is enriched with treasures for divers. It is well-traveled through the generations of Great Lakes shipping. It is the only, only path from the lower lakes to the upper lakes. The first recorded travels 
upon that body of water were upon the fabled griffin that has been found umpteen times and usually found to be a two-by-four or a dumpster. But the griffin with Monsignor, um, what was his name? The uh, the priest that wrote about the travels of LaSalle? Is that Friar Tuck? His name escapes me. No, I'm sorry. He looked like Friar Tuck. <laughs> but the body of water we're speaking of is the St. Clair River. Yoo-hoo! It is a straight, not so much a river, but it is called a river. As you travel from Lake Erie northward towards Lake Huron, you traverse the Detroit River. The Detroit River at its north animus is Lake St. Clair. In all its beauty of eight-foot depth, notwithstanding the, the dredge channel that freighter traffic travels, at the north end of Lake St. Clair, you have what is known as the St. Clair Flats. There's a lot of shallow water, and you have the origin of the St. Clair River, which is divided into three bodies of water, the North Channel, the Middle Channel, and the South Channel. And then there's the Government Channel that it was dredged to allow freighter traffic to pass into the St. Clair River and points beyond. The St. Clair River then travels 43 miles north to the Blue Water Bridge where it meets Lake Huron. It is the strait that allows travel between the lower lakes and the upper lakes, and in conjunction with the St. Lawrence Seaway, allows the innermost portions in the Midwest to be connected to the seas. This body of water has an enormous amount of traffic through time. Along with that traffic of the schooners, the steamers, the sidewheel steamers, every genre of Great Lakes transportation, it also festooned a thing that grew in the late 1800s called the amusement park. Not the amusement park we know of today with the roller coasters, the rides, and the scary stuff, but more of the, um, what was that movie, Darren, I mentioned earlier? Dirty Dancing? Dirty Dancing. If everybody remembers Dirty Dancing where they went to that camp and it was more just a laid-back way to get away from town and work. On on the bottom of the St. Clair River, in the St. Clair Flats, there's an island called Harsons Island. And I won't delve into the history of Harsons Island too deep, but on Harsons Island was an amusement park known as Tajmu. And it was a steamer, the Tajmu, which coincidentally sank in the Detroit River. It was recovered. Not a good dive. It, it was recovered. But the steamer Tasma would run from Cleveland to Detroit, points beyond, and, and deliver people to these amusement parks for the weekend to get away from the hustle and bustle of the city life. And these people would sit there, and they would dance and drink. And there was this great pavilion on the edge of the river. And they would sit there, and there were clay pipes provided for their pleasure. And they would smoke the bowl of tobacco and then throw the pipe in the river, drink their beverage, and throw it in the river. At the end of the night, the cleanup crews would collect all the trash and throw it into the river. And in that era, we had several containers, leather, paper, wood, glass. Of all of those, the glass remains. 
and that river in that section is overwhelmed with the glass. A lot of those being embossed bottles from the soda waters of that era. And it is upon us in the year 2020, as we're coming up to, to recover those treasures, to bring them back, to share that history. And along with that, in that river, in that stretch, are all of the discards of all of the generations of shipping that have gone through that strait. Coal shovels. Um, matter of fact, about three weeks ago, there's a gentleman, Ed Johnsick, also known as the Anchor Man, because he's good at finding anchors. And a side note, he has posted some of those, and we're not talking boat anchors. We're talking ship anchors. Yes, and there's actually an anchor that I've been on with Ed Johnsick that, um, if you'd like, I'll give you the numbers for it. Ed will give you the numbers. Um, we had 14,000 pounds of bag on it and didn't get it to lift. And it's in a high current area close to the Blue Water Bridge. But if, if you're really interested in challenging recovery, let me know. I'll give you the numbers. But Harsons Island is well dove. And Ed, three weeks ago, found a steel-stocked anchor. Probably late 1800s, <laughs> early 1900s. And this is an area that has been, quote-unquote, by some, dove out. It's an area that while you're diving it, um, we typically shore dive it in the wintertime because it's very heavily traveled with recreational boaters in the summertime. And in the wintertime, the patrons that own facilities along that stretch have no issue with us parking in their lot, getting naked as we divers do, and getting dressed in our gear, and diving. Quickly, especially in the winter. Very quickly. And hopefully in a heated vehicle, which we will have. Um, there's also a restaurant. Long fabled history. It's called San Sushi. S-A-N-S-O-U-C-I. And I challenge everyone listening to research that word and embrace the feel of San Sushi. It pretty much interprets into without care. Just enjoy. And the owner of the restaurant allows us to dive from his dock. They have a great seawall that surrounds the little peninsula that the restaurant is upon, along with the museum that's next door and a store. And then there's a nice place where we can come up easily onto the shore because most of that shoreline is seawall. And while it's easy to get into the river, you have to be selective on where you come out. Because I have yet to develop suction cup fingers to be able to climb a seawall. But the river there is strewn with treasure. And if you look into the history of that area, as Mac was alluding to, on the north channel, where you have to take the ferry to get to the island, which is pretty, pretty cool. It, it's, if you've never taken a ferry with your vehicle... It's pretty cool to know that you're having to get on a boat to go to where you're diving. And it's a very maritime-oriented environment. Um, there's propellers, there's rudders, there's anchors everywhere, and they all have placards telling you where they came from or what they think they recovered them from. And the rivers around there are strewn with wrecks. 
Chris Cole actually has a great book on the wrecks of the St. Clair River. But you cross the ferry to get to the island. You do your dives. You get a great place to get something to eat, warm back up. And there's a lot of treasure. But as Mac and I were talking before the show, which I kind of cut him off and said, we need to say this for later. <laughs> there's a great historical artifact where the North Channel and Middle Channel separate. There's this little spit of land that comes out. And upon that spit of land, in about 18 foot of water, is the wreckage of a P-38 Air Cobra. And I, I hate to say I can't, I don't recall the, guy, the, the guy's name. One of the Tuskegee Airmen, who they were, the Tuskegee Airmen, if you don't know, were a group of black aviators in World War II. They were doing a lot of training out of Selfridge Air Force Base in Michigan. And he crashed a P-38 into the river. The remains of that aircraft are still on the bottom of that river. They're scattered. It's a rubble wreck. Um, there are definitely recognizable objects. But diving that river has a great history. And there are so many wrecks that have occurred in that river because of the fact that it is the only way to connect the lower lakes and the upper lakes. And there's a gentleman who I believe he's currently in his later 80s named Fred Dufty, who this guy found most of the stuff in the river. If you come across something that's phenomenal, I found an anchor one day, and it's still down there, and I'm not going to try to recover it because it wasn't my anchor. Because when I found this anchor, and as treasure spids divers, I mean, Mac, what do you think when you, when if you were to come upon an anchor that was bigger than you? Which I've done before, but it's like, you Your heart stops, your... It's almost like losing your virginity again. But when I get on this anchor and I'm, I'm caressing it, I'm touching it, I'm like, my precious. <laughs> I came across this little brass tag hanging from a stainless steel wire that said Fred Dufty was here. And at that moment, I knew this is not my anchor. I didn't find this anchor. I stumbled upon it. Fred Dufty found it. And you know what? He didn't take it. He left it so that I could find it. So why don't I leave it? And I don't think that's the right one, Darren. The note you just posted in the chat room. Was that me posting? No, that I'm was not sure. our... I think that's... <laughs> there, there's, there's a confusion factor because there's actually two... One to P-39, and that's an Air Cobra, which is the one you're talking. P-38 Lightning is another one. And both were Tuskegee's airmen in those aircraft that crashed. And there's another one. The other one is in Lake Huron, just north of the Blue Water Bridge. Right. And that is being salvaged or being um, surveyed for recovery uh, as an right. official item, uh, official act. 
the one that's in the St. Clair River, it's broken up. It it's it was a bad crash. And it was a rubble wreck from the moment it crashed. And time has not been generous to it. It's not deep. And the river gets quite a bit of there you go. That's the one. There, there, it gets quite a bit of ice. Um, that stretch of river doesn't generally ice over completely, but it does get ice flows coming out of Lake Huron in the spring that tend to go very deep, and it's it's had its effect. Um, the most recognizable item that I've seen is the canopy, and it's pretty much intact. And just about everybody that dives on it has agreed. Even though, even though being in the St. Clair Detroit River, it doesn't fall under Shipwreck Preservation Acts, mainly because they're dredged waterways. Most everybody I know, and I don't, I don't know anybody that dives it that has ever said, "I'm gonna." Well, I take that back. I know one person, but he was pretty much scolded. Everybody's pretty much agreed. We leave it there for everybody else to see. And it's kind of a memorial to that incident. But it's phenomenal diving. I, I know, Mac, you've talked before. You've dove the Blue Water Bridge area at the north end of the river. That's the Superman dive place. It's a wonderful place to dive. Visibility for us when it's 30 feet is, like, phenomenal. For those guys, eh, it's not a good a day. Uh, it is fast. It can be slow. You can get in at one part. It will actually circle you around and bring you back to a certain area so you don't have to paddle too much. Uh, when you can go find tons of three-pound triangle anchors because it's so fast, the fishermen have to use those on their casting rods. You can you can come out really uh, paying for your dives just in lead. Great place. I will tell you, though, that if you ever go to the Blue Water Bridge to dive and there's nobody, there's no boats around, there's a reason. <laughs> Don't just look at each other and say, sweet, we got the river to ourselves and jump in. Yeah, if the locals aren't diving, there's a reason. <laughs> if the locals aren't diving and the locals aren't fishing, just don't get in the water. I will say that was the probably the worst dive I've ever had that I tried to cancel and couldn't. Because once you're in the river, she owns you. And it's not it's not a place for somebody to go for your first river dive. Um, if you, you read stories about the Blue Water Bridge area, most of them will tell you, don't dive this area unless you're with somebody who is experienced in diving this area. I always questioned, well, how did the first guy dive it then? And a good buddy of mine that I lived with when I was working in the Ann Arbor area, uh, him and I, we decided to go up there to dive it. First time I ever dove it. And we were cautious. We jumped off the seawall, and we stayed close to the seawall. We got back out. You know, we'd recovered some fishing weights and whatnot. And we looked at each other and said, I don't know what the hell these people are talking about. This ain't nothing. All right, well, let's do it again. Well, this time we ventured a little further out, 
and we were close to the range markers, <coughs> which there are three great wrecks right by the range markers, but we didn't know this yet. And we ventured a little further out, and we found some more fishing anchors, and we had about a 45-minute dive, and we came back up. And we're like, these people are full of it. This is nothing. All right, let's just give it all. Next dive, we're going out. We're going to find the middle. And Bill and I jumped off the seawall. We're at the north end of the park there, uh, close to the paper mill. And we got probably 30 feet off the seawall, and Bill was north of me. And he started just rolling into me and just beating me. And I'm like, what the heck? And then I got about another two feet. We were we were in one of those backwater eddy areas. And we left that backwater eddy area, and we entered into the mainstream of the St. Clair River at the Blue Water Bridge. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you, she was not happy with us. And at that point, we realized we did not, we were not prepared to be diving that stretch of water. But we were. In the end, we lived. Not sure how. And that's why I really like the south end of the river at Harsons Island, because the river widens out. The north end of the river, the Blue Water Bridge, is carrying all of the water from the upper Great Lakes. Lake Superior. Lake Michigan, Lake Huron, are all trying to dump through this narrow channel between a quaint town that Thomas Edison lived in and a casino on the Canadian side. And the currents are crazy. But at the south end, down at Harsons Island, it widens out. It's had 43, 42, 43 miles to quell out. And you're in an area that is rich with what, for us spidge divers or muck divers, called treasure bottles. And there are even some now, torpedo-shaped bottles. Yeah. Is this anywhere near the spot that uh, Karen just pasted in the chat North room? of. North yeah. of quite a bit. Yeah, I'd say a property of the riverbank, what you call the forgotten nuclear wasteland by the Wall Street Journal's collapsed. In the Detroit Windsor, uh, Detroit River, the Windsor Star reported, for decades, a site near the historic Fort Wayne in southwest Detroit has been marked as contaminated by uranium by both the U.S. Department of Energy and Environmental Protection Agency. Formerly the Revere Copper and Brass Factory in the 40s and 50s, it extruded aluminum rods for the Manhattan Project, the World War II era research and development effort to build the atomic bomb. So I, I bet you there could be some really nice bottles there. We uh, dove St. Clair Shores, which is downstream a long way. The currents, like you said, when it widens out, it's pretty manageable. Uh, we dove that one year for a weekend, and our suits were really tacky when we got out one time. We found out that they had had a dioxin spill <laughs> upstream of us. And then when you have a petroleum leakage, a lot of time it's in a big plume. And if you happen to be in the water when that plume comes by, you're in that, that toxic area. I mean, those are items that can happen, but generally don't. So it's still a good dive. The yeah. Detroit River has areas. Um, 
I'm sure I, I, I'm sure Mac will remember. Do you guys remember an, an Australian couple that came over? I think we came over for a turkey dive. Tess and James. That was a couple of, that's what, five, six years ago, wasn't it? Probably. Well, he's an organic chemist. And Tess James and I were diving this one hot spot on the Detroit River. Maybe that's the wrong word to use, but um, <laughs> it was loaded. It, it was pretty far south on the Detroit River. It was loaded with bottles, but every one of them had this iridescent rainbow look in the glass. And we dove it, I don't know, four or five times, and we were bagging up like nobody's business. And then I stumbled upon an EPA report because it was adjacent to an abandoned steel mill. And I stumbled upon the CPA report and it was like 900 and some pages long. And it was all techno speak. And I sent it to James and I said, you're the chemist. Can you just tell me what this means? And he had to report three, four days. And he called me and he said, uh, Hey, uh, that spot with all the bottles we have yet to pick up that we've picked a few up. Yeah. Yeah, we're not diving again. It's an EPA Superfund site. They're going to be doing dredging there to uh, recover the heavy metals. And, yeah, we're not diving that again. Well, isn't it okay if you don't drink the water? Or rub your bottles, which who doesn't (laughs) rub your bottle? (laughs) You get a beautiful embossed milk bottle. I mean, you're rubbing it. You're touching it. My precious. But I will say that parts of the Detroit River are very, very clean. And interestingly enough, it is illegal to dive within the city limits of Detroit. That's why when you go in at nighttime, nobody knows. Oh, they know. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the guys across the river in Windsor, they laugh at us because we can't dive. But the biggest reason... Um, and this was, uh, there was a gentleman, Tony Grammer, who's now deceased. Uh, he was big with the Ford Seahorses. Uh, he was big in the show. Uh, he was a big part of the dive show that they do every March. Um, he was also a member of the Dawson Museum there on Belle Isle, and he was also a member of the Detroit Historical Society. I did some dives with him in the Detroit River within the city limits, and the reason that they don't want people diving the amount of historical artifacts in the waters off of the city of Detroit in the Detroit River are astonishing. Well, you're talking about like the cannons I've got out of that. Um, That's freaking amazing cannons. The French were great at record keeping, just not good at cannon keeping. When the French left Detroit, we have records of 13 cannon that did not make it the entire voyage. So far, I believe it's six or seven that have been recovered. The rest of them are still believed to be in the waters in the Detroit River in Detroit city limits. I have, I've dove a wagon that's in the Detroit River in the no diving area that was a prohibition whiskey wagon. They were probably coming across over the ice and fell through the ice. There are probably, I would, 
I'm not sure that I can accurately guess, but 60 to 90 cases of whiskey on that wagon. It's still sitting at the bottom of the river. Well, so much for the wagon. How about the bottles? Yeah. <laughs> They're there. There are probably 60 to 90 cases of bottles, Mac. You had me at whiskey. <laughs> but because we were working with the historical society, we were merely documenting things that Tony had found with sonar. And then with his passing, I don't know what's going on with the projects that he is working, but it's still, it remains illegal to dive in the city limits of Detroit. You cannot even dive in a fountain unless the harbor master from the city, which is actually a dive team member from the city of Detroit police department approves your dive. And it's all based upon the historical artifacts because Detroit is a very historical city. And that stretch of river has so much history in it. They don't want to lose that history, but they don't want to let anybody see it. Kind of a quandary. But if you go just a little south of there, you can definitely get in some Prohibition whiskey. I know Tracy sold a bottle for like 300 bucks to a guy once. I tasted some. Not good stuff. No, they made it in the bathtub, so what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> but most certainly, um, I guess what really led us into this whole conversation about the St. Clair River and the rivers, um, the, we'll be hosting a dive two weeks from now. If uh, you're within the driving distance, come over and join us. Harsons Island, about 1030 dive time. That means diver math, so 10.30-ish on Saturday the 15th at San Sushi. And we're going to get in the river and find some bottles. That sounds cool. <clears throat> so, Mac, what did you got going on that you can't get away? A wedding. Well, ha to have them come and do the uh, wedding could be like a pre-reception. Well, the, the guy is a diver, and he would, but oh. I don't think the wife is going to really want to be doing that we can do this this is a re-wedding this the anniversary of the 25th well i will tell you that ben anderson the guy that owns the dive shop i'm working with now he can do weddings and we can do a discover scuba at the same time so we could arrange for them to exchange underwater and i know some videographers we can probably even you know get some video i'll, I'll bring that up to her and uh, let's see what she says to me. And if I'm capable of speaking next week, I'll tell you what she said. <laughs> Do it over a phone call. Yeah. <laughs> you, you might want to leave out the contaminated uranium. That's earth, south so. of there. That's yeah. that's south. Yeah. Mention that's, her, it's a bar. You know what? Lake Erie has a lot of interesting stuff in it. I mean, I can show you a couple of areas to do if you like um, – Munitions of different varieties. It used to be a, and it occasionally it still, still is. could be. No, yeah, it still could be. is. It, it's well, I know there's a, there's a military zone for it. But if you dive in that area, there's no end to the amount of materials that you can come up with. 
Yes, and in that particular area, do you remember the Bugs Bunny cartoon where he was going, smack, dud, <laughs> smack, <laughs> dud, smack, dud, yeah, you're, you're, smack, just because, boom. <laughs> yeah, just because it's rusty doesn't mean it won't work. Yes, and there are actually two wrecks in that area. One of them is very fabled. There's a prison ship from Australia. Isn't that the kind success? of like uh, yeah. And it's it's a very low vis area. It's very shallow, and the west end of Lake Erie is is actually kind of shitty diving most of the year. But I will tell you, the ice diving I've done in that area has been phenomenal. And I will tell you that I've contributed to the UXO in that area. There's there's plenty of things I've dropped in that area. It is still an active impact area, and when it's when that range is being employed, it is heavily patrolled, and as, you'll know as it should be. As it should be, you'll know if you drift into it, they will come tell you to move. Maybe not that politely. Yeah, it's more like get your ass out of here. At at, at a minimum, yeah. It's 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 very heavily patrolled, but that is yeah. There is a lot of stuff in that area, and it's good diving. But you have to be a low vis diver. That end of Lake Erie is very low visibility because it's very shallow. Um, being from Ohio, I like to say that we've received all of Michigan's shit as it comes out of the Detroit River, and it, in reality, it is the Detroit River comes south, and it's carrying all that sediment from the upper lakes down through the straits, as we discussed, the St. Clair, through the, you know, St. Clair, Lake St. Clair, the Detroit River, and when it reaches Lake Erie, it has to make a violent right-hand turn. And a lot of sediment is deposited, which is why that end of the lake is so shallow. And it's, it's very, it's that very loose, billowy silt, so it takes nothing to stir it up. And if you have a sub-bottom profiler, you will be surprised what you find in that deep silt, which is very deep. It is. And there are a lot of well-documented wrecks that I've worked that area and tried to find, and they're, they're just completely submerged. They're totally silted over. And the wrecks that you find in that area, because of being so shallow, are extreme rubble wrecks. Because the ice reaches from the surface to the bottom in that area and the wrecks are immolated. Not not to mention most of them were immolated anyway because of hazard navigation. You know, as you talked about the ice, you know, they have a ice flow race there every year. Have you ever participated into that? No, but I know people that have gone out and gotten fishermen off of ice flows when it broken off. Yeah, this is when it starts breaking up and you have the ice flows. They've actually, and this has been, God, 10, 15 years ago at least, you would get teams of eight divers from your club or whatever. You would get up there and you'd get it. Have you, have you dove ice flows before? Oh, yeah. Other than that going under them when they're traveling. Usually you usually looking for snow machines. Yeah. The item is who can fish their, no, who can push their ice flow past the end mark first. It's a contest. No, I, no, I would have no business doing that. because Nobody ever like wins work. it, but there's a lot of people, a lot of crazies, and they've been a lot of 
uh, ingestion of antifreeze-type substances after that, and many tall tales and lots of activities at the end of that type of activity. Well, 151 doesn't freeze. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I have actually done a few jobs up there where, you know, fishermen mainly, uh, quad runners and snow machines, you you're not Superman. You're not jumping from ice float to ice low. Sooner or later, you're going to miss. Yeah. And a really good buddy of mine, uh, he actually makes good money up there. He's commander of one of the dive teams in that area, and they do a lot of snow machine and quad run recoveries. About, you know, spring break up time. A couple of years ago, they had, what, 48 fishermen that were stranded on an ice floe? Yeah. But I've actually dove a couple of wrecks up there under the ice, and wow. You know, typically Lake Erie, the West End, you have zero visibility. It's it's so shallow, and the sediment gets stirred up so easy. Under the ice, it mellows out, and the, the conditions have to be right, and we just hit it right. Was that, I want to say it was about eight years ago. And it was phenomenal. We did several wrecks up there, and we had hundreds of foot of visibility in places where normally you have zero. And that's why you all need to go out and get a dry suit. But what if you've got a dry suit? You got to use it. Dive it. You got to use it. Yeah, you got to wear it out. So I'm curious, since how we're on this tangent, not following the typical format, how did the turkey dive work? Did anybody recover any treasure? Let's see. I got actually when I got back, I had I found a uh, carburetor, an assembly that fed the carburetor, so a fuel pump. I got uh, a nice little milk, a very ornate-looking um, crown top. Yeah, that was uh that was a squeeze. I think, it I think Iowa, I, Idaho yeah, or I, Iowa was in the imprinted in the bottom. Yeah, I gave those away to Jake. I think he's got those. Uh nobody wanted the uh carburetor. It was an old one. And is that carburetor the, is that carburetor part of that tractor that, that one guy threw in there piece by piece? I don't know. Yeah, two years ago we could have built a freaking car. From all the parts we got out in front of the the Riverview dock area, yeah, where that came from is amazing. I don't know, because yeah, that used to be just plain kind of silty and you know. Yeah, but I did find there. one item in my gear bag when I got back, and it's about a foot long. It's sort of pointy at the ends, fat in the middle, flat. Whoa, 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 whoa! And it's whoa. That's the other podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But anyway, it's and the embossing on it is from Germany, and I haven't figured out what it is yet. It almost looks like a fid that yeah. you you know you're gonna fit it, right? No idea. Uh, when you're doing lines, really, and you're and you're weaving back on the line to make you know if you want to yep. put a fastener in there. So it, it looks like an antique fid. So I got to clean it up a little bit and say, well, that's pretty nice. So, of all the keepers, that'd be cool to see pictures of. Yeah, 
and I, I believe also Berrien County was diving under the bridge um, just prior to you guys being there. Did not know and that. The reason I say that is somebody that was somebody that was a uh, student in one of the classes who's on Berrien County team. He had posted a video of them doing training. And it was actually his first river dive. And he found a uh, scooter while they were diving under the bridge. So just north of where you were. Or, I'm sorry, south. I guess that's south, isn't it? Yeah, south is. We were south of the bridge. The bridge is just south of the park. No, we were north of the bridge. You were north of the bridge. Yeah, they were... Berrien County's dive team did a training evolution just prior to that, the week prior to you guys doing the turkey dive, and they were working, doing tethered diving operations under the bridge. And it was, it was kind of cool being able to see, you know, somebody I'd worked with through their open water and a couple other classes and seeing them get in the river for the first time, and they found treasure. Are they the ones that found that 57 Chevy? Did we finally lose everybody? You had my attention. Now you have my interest. You had my attention. Now you have my interest. I didn't hear about this. Oh, I'll have to, we'll continue that later. I, I've got to relocate that. I saw a posting on it. When I got out of the river, a group had pulled up a 57 Chevy in our locale. Huh. And I just thought about it as you're talking about treasures. Hey, Karen was saying something about that's, that's nice. And Karen, I'll answer your question. I saw that pop up. Dave, you're breaking up just a little bit on my end. That's probably my high-quality internet service. I thought it was mine. Actually, one of these days, Darren, I think I'm lower down speed than you. Derek there is in there. I thought it was mine, too. Yeah, it's probably my internet. That's the hazards of living in the middle of nowhere. Well, it must be that time of night, but by the same token, looking at the clock. Well, anyway. Um, we have prattled on pretty good tonight. Yeah, we had, we've we uh, really stretched this. And, you know, out. we've only covered a couple of topics. They're strong topics. But it's the kind of topics that make people want to get out there and dive. Well, who doesn't want to recover treasure? Absolutely. Even though treasure is in the eyes of the beholder, sometimes it's actually treasure. (laughs) Well, you remember Mallory Haas, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm sure you remember Mallory. You know, she brought back a term to us from the UK. Spidge. It's not trash. 
it's not treasure. It truly has no monetary value. But it has I don't I don't want to say emotional value but it has intrinsic value because I found this and this bottle was thrown into the water by some kid being taught how to fish by his grandfather in the early 1900s. It's not trash, but it's not truly treasure. It was a castaway from a society before me. It's spidge. Hmm. A good example of that is... And I've actually kind of embraced it. I've embraced that, that term. You're a great example, Mac. Do we finally lose Dave? Is that what happened? Is he there? I'm there, but I think Dave... Am I here? going good. And then yeah. it went chunk again. Are you still there? He's getting I'm here. Yeah, we lost your audio for a moment. Oh, wow. Can you hear me now? We can hear you. I don't know if you can hear us. I can hear you, but Karen now has me squirreled. Yeah. I'm afraid to click on that link. I think it would take my internet down. Oh, his biggest problem is he was driving a Renault LaCar. Oh, my God. This car was 125 yards downstream from the boat ramp at Marmont Street. Damn. It's not the first one in that spot. Nope. Won't be the last either. Yeah. But it's been there 15 years. How the hell did we miss that? I don't know. They can't be talking about the Model T. No, it's a Renault LaCar. How could we miss that? Remember that stupid thing, the Renault LaCar? It was like an early version of the smart car. Well, the thing is, we may not have. Uh, With the way the current's been ripping through there. Yeah. That could have float. They, that could have gotten lifted up from up river and floated down and settled there. I mean, we've had record flooding in there for the last couple of years. So yes, we have. Uh, and Lacar, it's almost well, like a Yugo. Well, he'd been in several bars after closing the coin-operated laundry in Mishawaka. Now that was, I, mean, I don't know if you could get it from Mishawaka. I mean, how many dams would have to have gone over? Yeah. I mean, Niles Police listed the case as an open investigation. But it was 125 yards downstream of the ramp. So we're talking, what, 350 feet? We have been down there many times. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, in the last 15 years... Just myself, I've probably done 20, 25 dives in that stretch right there. Yeah. Now, I'm, I tend to not want to go down past the waste treatment plant for obvious reasons. 
So if it had been much south of there, I probably wouldn't have come across it. Yeah, that's some shitty diving. <laughs> well, I have been past that. There's two big, large boats that used to be buried pretty much up to the gunnels in junk. Yeah. I am very curious to see if the currents have cleared those out because mm-hmm. there was all sorts of junk embedded in the area around those wrecks. And that's well over 300 feet downstream. So how we could have missed a car unless it was on the going upstream on the right-hand side because we normally are looking on the on the going downstream on the right. Well, it says it says 125 yards downstream from the ramp. We should have seen that. Yeah, there's no way that it was there, because that's not too far from the Model T. Wow. Yeah, that that I'm I'm thinking that got lodged or something. But that would you could see if you were drunk and you're driving down the road, and you didn't realize that that was the <laughs> that was a boat ramp. <laughs> you could drive right into the river. If you had been inviting, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he had been. He had been. The article states that he had been to a couple bars and was heading to another one. Yeah, that was a, that's a detour there. Probably the good enough. <laughs> well, uh, are we ready to close it up for the night? I think we are, sir. I've, I've had a little knock on my door telling me it's that time. Okay. I don't know okay. that I can buckle my seatbelt tight enough, but okay. Yes. Well, well, we we'll, are sitting down. Yeah, we'll we'll do a warm up and then we'll we'll do the real one. So, and because you mentioned something about uh, a wedding, well, there were uh, two antennas that met on a roof, fell in love, and got married. The ceremony wasn't much, but the reception was excellent. Okay, that's adorable. Yeah, yeah. Eh. And the thing is that you have to be over a certain age to even understand that anymore. That's actually probably true. <laughs> and I think all of us right now are that old enough. Yeah, we, we qualify. If you have balled up aluminum foil and stuck it on the end of the antenna, <laughs> then uh, you are probably old enough to understand that joke. Yeah, or twisted rabbit ears. Yeah. If you were ever the remote control. Oh, yes. Get up and change that channel. Yep. <laughs> okay, and here, here we got one. A boy asks his father, Dad, are bugs good to eat? That's disgusting. Don't talk to me about things like that over dinner, the dad replies. After dinner, the father asks, Now, son, what was it you wanted to ask me? Oh, nothing, the boy says. There's a bug in your soup, but it's gone now. Okay, I'm not sure if that's a groaner or not. (laughs) I was hearing crickets. So, on that note, go out there and get wet. And do it safely. Be safe, people. And know your dive flag laws. Type. 
Now, there you go. <laughs> hey, Garrett, have you been listening to all this? Yeah, well, I, I just, about the okay, last Dave, five minutes. Dave, Dave put a cork in it. Get online, and let's say, hey, we're having open mic tonight. All right, let me go grab a Coke. Okay, let me go get my tea. I'll be right back. Okay. Well, Darren, I should probably fill you in on what spurred that whole conversation.